0: This is just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini-episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod.
1: Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. And with me in the studio this week is Jay Bearhat, a Seattle-based writer, zinester, and known internet presence. Their work includes the chapbooks published comic Little Teeth, the YouTube critique series Film Critters, and over dozens of posts on Twitter under the name Fussy Baby Bitch. Uh, Jay, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. I was we were chatting about this just briefly before we started recording, but one of the reasons I've really been excited to have you on the show is I often really enjoy reading the advice um that you give just for free out of the goodness of your heart on Curious Cat, where sometimes people just ask you especially thorny questions that often have to do with like queer inviting or history or identification. and I always um appreciate the sort of like practical, affectionate, and yet um, relatively little nonsense approach that you take to it.
2: No, I, I really appreciate hearing that. It, it's funny because it actually like basically just carried over from like way back when I was a Tumblr person. People would do the same thing and I just would like give you know idea of like oh here's like my thoughts on that and it just became a thing where like I would constantly be getting questions about it and eventually I was like I gotta I gotta stop I'm getting like 20 questions
0: a day oh my goodness yeah yeah it's just sort of like oh that's the questions person that's the person you send questions to I can relate I am excited about this though I I think we have an exciting variety of questions some of which feel like they could have come from tumblr and some of which I think do not And I'm really excited. I'm going to have you read the first letter because I'm like planning ahead and I really want to hear you read the third one because it's just, I've always wanted to hear you narrate a Patricia Highsmith novel and now I get my my wish. I'm so excited. Okay.
2: uh, Yeah. So the first question then, uh, subject, am I being a stingy stepmom? Dear Prudence, I am a stepmother to a now 18 year old woman. I love her dearly. She doesn't live with us, so I'm usually left out of big decisions. Over the years, my husband and I have been concerned that the child support isn't being used on her, but rather on her mother's motorcycles and overspending. We always have to buy my stepdaughter things she should already have whenever she visits, like shoes and medical care. My husband has remaining child support he hasn't been able to pay during a period of unemployment. So even though she is now 18, we are still paying. My stepdaughter barely graduated high school this year and frequently lied about her grades and homework throughout. Now her mother is saying that we should help pay for her college education beyond the thousands of dollars we will be giving her within the next two years through child support payments. I want to be supportive of my stepdaughter, and I don't want to alienate her, but it just seems like a bad decision to pay more, especially since the money we are still spending is more than enough to pay for her tuition in a community college, and there isn't anything preventing my stepdaughter from working. Would saying something make me the evil stepmother? How can we be supportive without feeling like we are being taken advantage of?
0: There were a couple of things here that I felt like merited plenty of time and attention and and careful thought. And there were a couple of things where I feel like our letter writer could actually not worry about something and that would actually probably be a relief. Um, One of those things I think is just the, the outstanding child support. I totally understand that it was probably really difficult for the two of you to make ends meet when he he wasn't able to work. Um, but, you know, your stepdaughter still had child care needs. She was still alive and had expenses. Um, and so the fact that, you know, you, you have to keep paying that money is like, yeah, that's what child support is for. Yeah. It's yeah. not her fault that your husband was underemployed. And so he should continue paying that money.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I feel like the child support thing is sort of a... Uh... I feel like it's sort of being offered up as a sort of like, you know, we're already investing in her in this way. Uh, and a question of like, whether or not they're becoming over invested, I think kind of really depends on uh the question of like, well, how how much does your husband invest in this in like his daughter? Right. And that's not like a question of like, how much does he really love her? But it's like it's sort of like, you know, how how much is she still in his life? How much does to him uh, the need to like invest in these things, even if uh, her m- mother isn't investing in those things, like sort of matter to him. Especially now that she is sort of becoming an adult,
0: right? And again, that's not to say she can't ever do something you disagree with, or that her mother might not very well have have spent some of the money on things that you don't approve of. But it's also like it doesn't sound like you two have been taken advantage of. Like he didn't have to like raise his daughter, and, and he's gotten an extension on child support. So like in terms of does that sound to me like a parent who's being taken advantage of? No, that sounds to me like a parent who has gotten some breaks. Yeah. Um, no, And, and that it, doesn't mean he's a bad guy. I just mean, like, no, that's not what being a taken advantage of looks like.
2: And uh, my, my, my other question, like, about it, like, when I was reading over it the first time was just also, like, how does, like, what does the daughter feel about this? Because it's, like, it's being positioned as if this is, like, the mother is, like, you should help pay for her college, but, like, there's no... The, the the daughter in question doesn't have any like voice in this like how does she feel about these things does she feel like her mother is taking advantage of the style support does she feel like the, her father is like investing enough in her like supporting her yeah
0: yeah and i'll just like one last thing like you had to buy your stepdaughter stuff like shoes and medical care when she visited <laughs> neither of those things strikes me as unusual like Kids need shoes. Kids need more than one pairs of shoes. That's not outrageous that during her visits she might have forgotten to bring some of her shoes. And yeah, parents are supposed to provide their kids with medical care. I get, again, like medical care, medical costs, the healthcare system is all very broken in this country. I realize not all of this is a problem that you are responsible for, but you didn't say like she demanded you know, a gold basket or something yeah, filled it, with lavender from the Cursed Mountain. Like, shoes and medical care. Yeah, that's bare bones. Yeah,
2: it, it didn't sound like like she was being sent over in, like, a burlap sack while her mother was off buying, like, lobster dinners to ride on her <laughs> <Right>. motorcycle. <laughs> with.
0: Riding it's, a motorcycle with a lobster dinner?
2: Yeah, just, like, just... No, It's it sounds like maybe the mother... Like, maybe your fears, the mother isn't budgeting the money correctly, but it doesn't sound like you're being asked to do anything more so than it's just it's a financial burden in the way that raising a child is a financial like investment
0: yeah so all of that to say is like you have not been taken advantage of um you may have like struggled making ends meet but in terms of what the stepdaughter has needed or asked of you to it, it all strikes me as totally totally within the realms of of normal stuff so um and, and the qu-
2: and the question of like how do you you know how much you're going to like financially support your child in going through community college that's something that like every family i know really goes through right uh i I don't think that's like necessarily has anything to do with whether or not the the other the mother in the situation is like misusing child support i think that's just like yeah that's that's going to come up when your child goes to college and assumedly doesn't get like grants or loans otherwise
0: yeah to me i would say at this point she's 18 you know I would encourage you and your husband to have a talk with your stepdaughter and to say to the stepmom, like, thank you for letting us know. We're going to talk to her uh, about this. And and to say, like, and for you too to maybe think about, like, what would you be prepared to offer towards an education? How would you make sure that it went towards an education? And you could just, I I think, just say, like, here's what we can offer you. And it's like, you know, such and such amount a month or such and such amount a semester. And then, you know figure out do you either want to like file those payments on her behalf when she gets into school do you just want to give her the money i can understand if you didn't just want to give her money that (laughs) would be totally fine and then you would say like any other costs you have beyond that we won't be able to help you with but to just give her i think a really clear picture of what you can afford and for the two of you to decide in advance what that number is and then do it and if she says that's not enough i I think you can just kind of stick to like that's what we have that's all you have to worry about i think
2: yeah, I, I think that's the important thing is definitely like don't don't over promise to her more than you right. think you can give. Don't be like, well, I don't really like think we can budget or afford to or really want to give this much, but we will to make her happy because that's that's just going to cause problems like further down the line. When you reach a point where you're like, oh, we actually can't or we don't want to do this anymore. And now she doesn't. She's just without that support in the middle of college. Right.
0: And like, I get that you're kind of worried. I I think the underlying worry here was like, what if she fails or flunks out or drops out? And, you know, you say she barely scraped by in high school. She's lied to you a lot about homework and stuff. That may very well happen. You know, even the best and, and like most responsible high schooler doesn't always necessarily go on to be the most responsible college student. Kids that age often make bad choices and often prioritize a lot of other stuff over getting a college education. So I I would say too, when you do give that money, try to stay as, as detached as you can from outcome. Like don't make it contingent on like you have to get such and such grades. I just think that's a great way to make sure that you feel like you have to monitor her and like she's getting away with something. Again, I would just say like either offer her money with no strings attached or offer less or don't offer any rather than, um, trying to use the money as like a carrot and a stick technique for getting her through more school that she may or may not want.
2: Yeah. No, I, I think that's actually a, a great idea is like, don't cause that that's just setting yourself up for failure, especially if you're already going into it with an expectation that you are being taken advantage of or lied to.
0: Yeah. And so just to, to say like, if, if our, you know, if my stepdaughter does do like wild and crazy shit as a 18, 19, 20 year old, I don't have to punish her for it. She gets to start making mistakes and experiencing consequences as an adult. And um, that part, I can just kind of say, like, good luck. I love you. I'll see you at Christmas. <laughs> Happy to talk some of these things out with you. But, like, I'm not going to be able to solve this problem. I think that's fine.
2: Yeah. No, I, I think it's fine to to make it clear that you, you're you only giving up to a certain amount. And that if she does not use that money correctly, you know, that is her choice and her mistake that she has to then correct. Yeah. Cause that's part of, that's part of becoming an adult is, is, is realizing that like, oh yeah, when you make mistakes, you gotta be the one to fix them actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're in a better position than you're worried you are. And I think you're going to be fine. And, um, you know, if your stepdaughter's mom gets really upset that you two aren't paying for a, a really expensive education, I think you can just kind of say like, sorry that you're upset. That doesn't change our financial reality. Gotta go. And, you know, let her ride her motorcycle yeah. off into the sunset and exercise her anger thusly. <laughs>
1: we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
0: All right, this next one, I I felt like at the time I tried to edit it down as much as I could, and I clearly could have edited it more. But I do think it kind of like provides us a snapshot of this letter writer's current emotional state, which is probably relevant. So with that, I will just go ahead and read it. The subject is Tiny House with Too Many Guests. Dear Prudence. About a year ago, some married friends from college were going through a difficult time financially. My husband and I decided to give them twelve thousand dollars. I'm sorry, twelve hundred, not twelve thousand. That'd be very <laughs> different. Just twelve hundred, not twelve thousand.
2: Twelve
0: thousand dollars. Their situation has <laughs> happily improved. They recently bought a house, started remodeling it, and for the first time in their marriage started going on vacations. We're very happy to see them thriving. Before this windfall, they had asked if they and their four children, two of which have special needs, could stay at our house over a weekend when they go to a wedding. We live in a very expensive coastal city in California. We have a modest income. Most of it goes to our very expensive, very small house. We also have two school-aged children wanting them to have the best education possible, which is why we live in this very small and very expensive house. Our neighborhood schools are excellent. Having an additional six people in our already cramped home will be extremely difficult. However, at the time, we knew they couldn't afford a hotel and it would only be two nights on a weekend. Knowing that their financial situation has changed, but also knowing that we'd already said yes to their spending the weekends with us, my husband and I decided to just make it work. This week, I received a text from the wife saying they've decided to turn the wedding weekend into a real vacation, and they are increasing their stay from two nights to six. They will be arriving Wednesday morning instead of Friday evening and leaving the following Tuesday. She also mentioned that she appreciated our previous offer to be their tour guides, especially now that their family has more time. I literally had a panic attack. There's absolutely no way my husband or I can afford to take time off from work to tour guide on weekdays. Also, our kids are in school and have busy weekday schedules. Plus, our house is very small. How do we fit 10 people in our small house for six days and not interrupt our schedules? On top of this, as our friends already know that I'm now in grad school, and the week they plan on being here is my finals week. I decided to just be very honest and tell them that we can only host for the weekend that we originally agreed to. I tried calling but got a voicemail, so I sent a text. Thirteen hours later, I received a text back that said, We understand you are busy and can't host the entire seven days and six nights. However, we would still like to stay at your house at least Wednesday evening through Sunday. We are at a loss. They clearly don't see what a burden having all six of them at our house will be, especially on a weekday. This couple has stayed with us before. They know the size of our house, and previously they haven't brought their kids because, quote, our two kids with sensory disorders would not do well in a tight space like this. We've been friends for over 20 years, and I don't want to destroy the relationship. Should we just let them stay the two weeknights they are requesting? I don't know what to say. I already said the weekend is the only time that works, and explained why.
2: So as a Seattleite with a spare mattress in our living room, this hit very close to home (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh we we my my housemates and i have had many conversations specifically around like no when we give people like you can stay here for this time period that's it (laughs) and like we're very very strict on it because we've we've all been in this situation multiple times of people like kind of taking advantage of it and sort of like Dropping it on us in a way where it makes us uh, uh, us responsible for for essentially making sure that they have a place to stay for their their fun time little vacation.
0: Yeah i I also just was like between grad school and everything else, I really hope that this letter writer has, if not a therapist, maybe a, a, a psychiatrist <laughs> or a doctor, or even just like a yoga class they can drop in at once a month, like some way of dealing with anxiety because this level of absolute panic over the idea of having to tell people you've been friends with for 20 years like no you can't stay an extra two nights is um i want you to have more help than you're getting i don't want to say like oh my gosh how how could you possibly feel this bad you should feel bad for feeling bad i just mean like this is a sign that you are not getting something that you really need
2: yeah or or that like you have a very you you definitely have some sort of um you're stretched to the limit in a way where you you don't feel comfortable saying no to people, which is just going to cause you to constantly go over your limit. And actually, like, one, one point that, like, I really wanted to make when I read over this before was that, like, um, they're worried about, like, you know, if I say no, it could destroy our 20-year friendship. But it's like, if you, like, don't say no, it's very clear that this will destroy your 20-year friendship.
0: Right. And, like, either your friends have a history of behaving really badly when somebody doesn't give them extra stuff. Such that you're like, if I say they can't stay an extra two nights, they're going to like never speak to me again. Or your level of anxiety about saying no is so high that you're afraid that people who have known you for 20 years will turn on you if you can't do them a favor. So I don't know which one is the case here, but like your level of fear is not commensurate with what you're proposing doing. Like most reasonable people, if their friend says, I cannot Host you for an extra two nights would not say then fuck you and your bloodline. I hope you all die. Um, <laughs> they'll just say okay, we'll we'll rearrange our plans. So and again, I think like the fact that you were like texting in a panic back and forth about this instead of just picking up the phone and and saying either like hey, you know when we agreed to this, you two were in a really different situation, and also now that I'm in grad school and close to finals week, I've just realized uh, it would be too hectic and too challenging to host the whole families here. So I'm afraid we're not going to be able to host you and you'll have to make other arrangements. I'm really sorry for the inconvenience, but I just think this is the best thing to do. Um, that's a very reasonable and okay thing to say. They will be disappointed, but they will figure it out. And and you need to be able to say that. And so no, do not let them stay an extra two nights. If you feel completely honor bound and, and, and like you could make, you know, two nights work, Maybe you can say that, but by no means should you say, yes, you can stay from Wednesday to Sunday. I think you got to pick up the phone. You got to call and just say, like, listen, I'm not sure where the wires are getting crossed, but we agreed to the weekend. We can do the weekend. We cannot do more than that. And even the weekend, I think, is going to be a real challenge with all 10 of us. Yeah. Um, no,
2: I I definitely think that's something that's like gonna be important to emphasize is like, hey, we agreed to the weekend because the weekend was already sort of like putting us at our limit because of how small our house is, because of our situation with like, you know, 10 people, uh, when everyone in our house already is sort of like full schedule all the time. Uh, asking us or expecting us to just have like you know the ability and the time to have you for these extra days is not really you don't have to do, you don't have to go full on like that's not acceptable behavior to them but you do have to tell them like what we agreed to originally was our limit
0: yeah yeah and and you don't have to like make this phone call in a state of like if, if they don't agree, I'm not allowed to say this. Like you're just letting, like you, your tone should be one of like, oh, I have some lightly bad news, but mostly this is like an easy breezy conversation. And again, I, sorry, I don't want to be like, just act fine. Like you're allowed to <laughs> feel the way that you're feeling. Um, but you should not approach this conversation as I have something terrible to tell you. I have to let you down. Um, cause you don't, this is actually super okay. They're frankly pushing you, um, in, in ways that they shouldn't hopefully they're just kind of unaware of how stressed out this is making you and they're not like eh, who gives a shit they've already given us 1200 bucks let's see what else we can squeeze out of them um but totally yeah totally normal to say no nope.
2: I, I would hope that like your friends with two kids would be like uh emotionally mature enough and adult enough to be able to be like oh well we can figure out you know something else like we can we can, kids, we can actually, make other I think. Inter- oh four kids oh yeah you're right they, if they have four kids being able to like plan these things like on the fly or even you know to like change accommodations as need be should be like kind of like built into their genetics at this point
0: <laughs> yeah but again you just you don't have to get them to agree with you you just have to let them know. Um, any more than those two weekend nights won't be possible for us. And um, that's it. It's it's not like, here's why. Like, you can give a little rundown, but you just like you just need to communicate, like, he, here's what's possible and here's what isn't. Um, and I would say do it over the phone because the texting, it sounds like, has been making you more anxious. And also, you I think it's maybe a little easier for your friends to ask for stuff that they'd be afraid to ask for over the phone.
2: Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was actually even going to say on that, um, since I assume your husband is in the same boat, I would... I would have him like there with you. So that way, if you, you know, end up in a state where you're like too stressed out or too anxious, you can be like, hold on, I'm going to pass it off to so and so will I go like uh, run to the bathroom or something like just give some sort of excuse. That way, if you need a second to step away, you're not just like trying to get out of the conversation. You can like have someone to continue, you know, reaffirming like, no, this is this is our, our limit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even think you have to, like, make up an excuse. Like, it would be normal for a couple to have this conversation since you're both the hosts. So you could even just give your husband a look. um, And then he could (laughs) say, like, hey, it's my name here. uh, And then kind of step in on your behalf. Um, You could even ask him to make this call on your behalf. This is not just like, you know, wife work. Yeah, because I assume that I assume that they're friends with, like, both like
2: both these people. Like, it's not like it's, it's just her friends. Right, right. It's a couple they've known for,
0: you know, since college, at least 15 years. Like, would not at all be weird for your husband to be on this phone call.
2: Yeah, I I do feel for this person, though, because I'm as as someone who has my own issues of conflict avoidance, I know how stressful it can be. But I also know like how I I can reassure them how much of a relief off your shoulders it will feel once you resolve the conflict. And also how assuming your friends are adults about it, how relieving it can feel to just oh okay cool that was that was actually not a hard conversation to have at all
0: yeah yeah and i've gotten better at conflict avoidance over the last couple of years and that doesn't mean i like dive into it feet first with like a (laughs) a viking shout of delight but like i'm no longer horrified at the idea of telling a friend of 15 years no about something um and i do think to a certain extent exposure therapy can be sort of helpful there and just like slowly building up um uh, just letting people know what, what does and doesn't work for you really often does make it a little bit easier.
2: Yeah. No. And, and as you brought up earlier, if, if you don't have something that's like letting you vent out the stress, it really sounds like you need one. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is something to, to maybe pursue, especially if this is something that like you sort of have a history of, of saying no to people that you are friends with, or really it's just saying no to sort of like favors
0: that are sort of going beyond what you are comfortable, uh, filling. Also, I apologize for throwing the term exposure therapy around really lightly. That's not just like doing stuff you don't like a whole bunch. It's like a, an actual therapeutic approach that requires like monitoring and controlled circumstances. And it's not just like, go do the thing that scares you. Okay, it, it's, you're not, it's not
2: jumping into the pool of spiders to get over your spider fear. <laughs>
0: exactly,
2: exactly. So
0: anyways, uh, you get to read this next one. And I'm so excited for you and um, for me, but not for this poor letter writer who's going through a lot. <laughs> Okay,
2: how do I set boundaries with a close friend who seems to be trying my life on like the talented Mr. Ripley? Dear Prudence, my best friend is having something of a quarter-life crisis and has been visiting me frequently since I moved far away. I love this friend dearly and I want to be supportive. She's often expressed mixed admiration and jealousy for the life I've been able to build in my new town. It's nothing lavish, but I'm really lucky to have a fun and rewarding job, a great group of friends, and a nice apartment. But I'm hearing more about how she misses my town and nothing about actually missing me. Last time she visited, I watched her insinuate herself into every part of my life, my colleagues, my friends, even my crush. She knew how I felt about him and flirted with him in front of me pretty glaringly, and then claimed obliviousness, which is very out of character for someone who's usually so emotionally sensitive. The most egregious intrusion was that she helped herself to my vibrator while I was at work. I was shocked to come home to find it sitting on the couch. I wanted to make sure I hadn't misunderstood, so first I went and checked in my bedside table drawer and no vibrator. I went back to the couch and sat near it, and I could see her realize it was there and that she didn't want me to notice— She came and sat next to me, chatting normally all the while, and right in front of me, as we were talking, I saw her first try to hide it beside her leg, and then try to furtively stuff it behind the couch cushion as we spoke. I was right there. (laughs) I could see what she was doing. I was just so shocked that I didn't know how to address it. Finally, I went to take a quick shower, and my suspicions were confirmed when I got out of the shower and found the vibrator back in my bedside table drawer but not in the place where I usually put it. This was so bizarre, I didn't want to have a stressful conversation on what was only the second day of quite a long visit. Then, I guess it got overshadowed by other things. However, now my friend is asking about coming to visit again soon. I know we're going to have to talk about why I'm reluctant to host her after how weird this last visit made me feel. How do I have this conversation? How do I bring up the vibrator incident after leaving it unacknowledged for a couple months? I'd really appreciate some scripts on how to do this compassionately because I love my friend. I can tell she's having a hard time figuring out what she wants from post-graduation life, and I want to help her build a similarly satisfying and stable lifestyle for herself in her own town. I just can't make my own life available to her in the same way after how Mr. Ripley'd the Last Visit made me feel. Uh, I, I, re- I really like the little bit of just lifestyle for herself in her own town. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It really you kind of was like the one. the bow on the message <laughs> of just yeah. like no 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 in her town, not my town. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Don't take her out rowing with you.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um before before we got I mentioned like it's like oh it's like very Ingrid goes west and you're like oh, I haven't seen it. It's like eh, it's, it doesn't end happily.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I um, I'm googling it now to to find out what happens. I remember it was the Instagram movie and I think I kind of mix it up with um, Spring Breakers Uh, oh yeah yeah probably not correct or apt but the poster is just like a couple of like scuzzy looking guys in hats and then some really lovely women looking like determined and I'm like yeah I get the gist
2: yeah I know it's it's very much so in that sort of vein of I call it like the single white female genre of just movies Mm -hmm. about like uh, women with a sort of Somewhat unstable sense of identity, essentially attempting to take someone else's identity. Uh, you can mm-hmm. also see it in that Beyonce movie, Obsession, a classic. A classic. <laughs> I love. that <laughs> When movie. will someone
0: make a transmasculine entry in this uh, genre? Is what I want to know. I mean,
2: you could, you could be the one. If they're if they're making Adam, they could make anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, please do not bring Adam discourse onto this <laughs> show because I, I it just it upsets so many people. Um, So uh, one of the things that I was talking about in an earlier episode we were recording today was this idea some people have, um, often uh, women, although not exclusively, is if I didn't bring up something that bothered me in the moment, I am not allowed to bring it up later. Or I've sort of like forfeited my right to be bothered by it because there's an expiration date for being upset about something. Um, the, the emotional while, statue
2: of limitations.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's just not a thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, there's absolutely um, ways in which oftentimes people respond to sudden or shocking boundary violations by kind of freezing or thinking this can't be real or is this really happening or am I really engaging with reality right now? Um, that's a totally normal reaction. The fact that you were sitting there like watching your friend. Act like they were invisible, like moving a vibrator behind their leg and then stuffing it behind the couch as if you couldn't see. Like, of course, you felt like, am I losing my mind right now? Like, am I have I ingested drugs? Is this midsummer? Like, is this really (laughs) happening? That makes sense to me as a response, because what your friend did was so ludicrous uh, that it beggars belief.
2: It's one of those things where it's like if somebody told me this story, I would have to I would immediately be like, stop okay and then start with the question like wait did they use your vibrator without asking like just like immediately be like that sounds so like unreal that i have to i have to repeat what you said to make
0: sure that you actually said that this is what happened it's the moment in the lifetime movie where the audience is like oh no like it pans ominously to the (laughs) bedside table and the audience realizes like oh she stole your vibrator like it's on this woman does not actively will your good.
2: It's the it's the Chekhov's vibrator scene where when you see it in the drawer, you know by the third act, it will be used by uh, a friend who did not ask.
0: Yeah. So like to me, the vibrator thing, uh, both taking it, uh, I was. I, I don't even want to say without asking, because frankly, if a friend's visiting me and they ask if they can borrow a sex toy, that's not like, oh, thank you so much for asking. That's like, no, f- what? Yeah, no.
2: yeah. Already, um, already, already. That's like off the table. Is like just even considering it is bizarre.
0: Yeah, I. Yeah, considering it is totally, totally bizarre. Um, I don't remember where I was going. I just mostly wanted to say that that was bizarre. Um, I, I. Yeah, without saying like you need to feel not just bewildered but violated but like that's really fucked up and if it's me I don't want that person staying as a guest in my home again certainly not for the immediate future possibly not ever so you're really worried about being compassionate just speak politely and that that'll cover it it's clear you love your friend you're not saying um you know depart from me ye accursed and 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 go to my left and 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 fall into everlasting fire but you can absolutely say didn't know how to acknowledge it at the time because i was so surprised and confused Uh, but the last time we visited you used my vibrator um and then i saw you try to hide it from me while we were having a conversation um that's not okay you can't do that to me i'm really uncomfortable and i don't want you to stay at my home again
2: yeah and um I, i especially think so because like not even just like oh who knows what else she did like in a scandalous gossiping way but it's Uh, Given that the writer also says that, like, you know, this was in her bedside drawer, that implies that the friend was just going through her bedside drawer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. I just think the ways in which you're going to be able to be supportive to her cannot involve letting her stay with you anymore. And it may be that in that moment she gets really panicked, really flustered. She might try to explain. She might try to deny it. She might get really defensive. I don't know what her initial response is going to be. If it starts to get really overwhelming, you can absolutely just say, like, look— I'm going to take a little space. I recommend you take a little space, too. Um, this is really fresh. We can revisit this maybe in a couple of weeks um, or longer, but I just needed to let you know uh, I can't have you stay as a guest in my home anymore, and if we're going to be able to get back on a different footing as friends, it's going to take time, and I'm going to need you to respect my space.
2: I um, I also think uh, a part of the script, since the writer also specifically mentioned and seemed also like particularly hurt by her friend, Uh, essentially flirting with a person that she knows she is interested in, uh, in addition to sort of like inserting herself into her friend's life in a way that felt inappropriate. I think that that should also maybe be part of the conversation, but I think the larger part should focus on the vibrator thing because I think that, I think given the friend's reaction to trying to hide it, it shows that on a very basic level, even she was aware that this was a line that she crossed.
0: Yeah, and I think that would be an appropriate thing to bring up in terms of like, I love you. I want you to be really, really well. You're normally an emotionally sensitive and a thoughtful person. And the last couple of visits have just felt really off. And, and it really just sort of culminated in behavior that doesn't seem like you. You know, you pretended that you hadn't been flirting um, with that guy right in front of me when it was really clear that you had. And again, you, you moved my vibrator while I could see you do it and pretend that I couldn't see you. Like, you were just acting in ways that are not like you. And I hope that you're doing okay. Uh, this just is not behavior that I normally associate with you. Um, and I hope that you can do better.
2: Yeah. Um, if, and if you want to, um, I think that's definitely the best way to put it. And I think it could even be like, this can be like step one in a series of conversations. And I I think it'd probably be important to, in terms of rebuilding both the trust between you, if that's a thing that you want on the table. Um, And also just like rebuilding sort of these options for your friend to live her own life. This is absolutely going to be like step one of conversations is like redrawing a boundary and saying like, this is not a boundary that I should have to have drawn. This should have been an assumed boundary in our friendship. Uh, And then perhaps from there, you know, expanding the idea of like, hey, here's how I like built my life in my town. Like this isn't something that like I have the magic touch, you know, it's not something where it's like I found the exact right combination of these things. It's these are things that just, you know, like I went out and did these things. I went out and was myself and I want to be able to support you in doing that, but I cannot do it
0: in this way anymore. Yeah. And like, it's not that you're reluctant to host her. You're not going to host her. Don't host her. I do feel a lot of freedom if you're like, there's nothing she can say right now that's going to make me feel good about her coming to visit. And she is okay. She does not need to come visit you right now. She needs to get her shit together. She needs to find a therapist. She needs to develop her own community in her own town. She needs to buy her own goddamn (laughs) vibrator. You know, if she can afford to fly out to visit you periodically... Uh, she can save the cost of her next ticket and buy a vibrator with it. Um, probably a really good one too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's not coming to visit you again. And if her response to that is anything other than like, Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. You're right. This is awful. I really need to reassess my life. Um, then that just proves that you were right to ask her not to visit. And it's just okay to need. Like, again, even if she's really apologetic, you still get to say, like, this does not magically heal this. I'm not suddenly comfortable with you in my space again. Um, so, So part of what would actually be a sign that she was making good progress would be if she said, yeah, I get it. I do need to work on this stuff. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, no, I I definitely think that uh, the way she responds to you bringing this up, especially because if she is an emotionally mature person, as you said, like that means like if she's trying to deny it, if she tries to excuse it, if she tries to push back on that on in any way, then like that to me says that she's reading you as somebody that she can do this behavior with. And you need to let her know that she cannot. And until she demonstrates that that is not acceptable behavior to do to anyone Uh, I I think it is fair to say, like, you can't start to rebuild trust until she shows that understanding.
0: Oh, man. Okay. So, please let us know how things go. I want to hear from you more than I want almost anything in the world. Um, And I think we should move on to our next letter. And I think it's my turn to read it. Yes. The subject is, I want to help my mother deal with her multiple sclerosis, but my dad won't let me. Dear Prudence. I just got off the phone with my father who said, no one has appointed you or your brother in charge of your mother's health. Neither my brother nor I dispute this fact, but my father will soon be traveling for two weeks out of the country and my mom will be alone for a good chunk of time. I live about two hours away and I offered to come stay with her for a few days, both to make meals and take her shopping and do laundry, but also because I don't really get opportunities to spend just us girls time with her. My brother and I both feel that her MS, which makes it very difficult for strangers to understand her speech, impairs her hearing and limits her mobility, makes being alone a challenge. She has broken two bones in the past year walking and reaching for the spice cabinet. I am also in the early stages of MS and am extremely sympathetic about how difficult it must be to sacrifice any freedoms that might not come back. Unfortunately, we feel like her condition is past the point where making how she feels about these things the exclusive factor in these decisions is actually unsafe. I understand why she might like some time to herself, but two weeks is a really long time if she can't get to a phone, or if she can get to a phone but can't dial correctly because the buttons are too small and so on. Our dad asks my brother and I every time we see her if we notice any new symptoms or progression or have new concerns, so it does seem like he's trying to regularly assess what assistance she might need. I really don't understand what the issue is here. What am I missing?
2: Um, So so when I read that from like my experience with like, um, you know, family members getting older and sort of like developing like various conditions from that, um, there's definitely that big, you know, oh, I I can do it. I'm fine. And like a a big need to reassert their own independence. And I think that's very important to sort of like let them, uh, you know, do that. That's important. It's important for older people. It's important for all people to feel like they have a, they retain a sense of uh, independence and self-reliance. Um, I think if you very reasonably have these concerns about her safety, especially given the fact that she has broken two bones in the past year, bring up to her uh, if the, uh, specifically that for the sake of your own anxiety, you would like, if not the o- option to come visit her, some sort of like life alert button, some sort of like emergency option, so that way you personally, for your own anxiety don't have to spend the entire two weeks worrying that like she's broken a leg and is is by herself in the kitchen
0: yeah i I think that's a good place to start it wasn't a hundred percent clear to me if like the dad in this scenario was being a little assertive on the mom's behalf like she had said to him i'm really hurt by this can you like relay that message for me or if he was defensive on her behalf um I, i i realize it's a remote possibility but like if there is a chance that you feel like your dad is being controlling or trying to isolate your mom or um be in any way abusive like I, I don't really get that read from this letter but just just in case like if she's normally pretty happy to see you and he's kind of like putting himself as like the barrier between the two of you at that point you might want to consider like yeah calling regularly while he's away and um asking if she would like you to come visit possibly stopping by just to say hello not to like force yourself on her for two weeks but just to say like i'm here in case you need anything um ag- again i don't think that's likely it does not sound to me like your dad is is trying to um control or isolate her but i just w- want to acknowledge that that happens
2: yeah no i uh, that uh, the main reason i opened with the the uh, asserting independences because it it had sounded more like the father was sort of being overly defensive on the on the mother's behalf. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. it, it's certainly a possibility. It could be something more, and it's definitely like worth opening direct channels with your mother, especially since this is ultimately about like her care and safety as well. Yeah, and I think communicating with her directly because even even under like the best of circumstances, you know, if she's having um, your father communicate these things to you there's there's rooms for misunderstanding there's rooms for him misinterpreting something she said and repeating it in a way that makes it sound like a lot more of a firm like don't come visit during two weeks when she said something more along the lines of like oh i don't want to be like waited on hand and foot
0: yeah yeah so i think maybe you know you just got off the phone so maybe give it a day or two and then you know call your dad back and just say like i'm really sorry if i um have overstepped my boundaries. I mostly just want mom to know that I'm available if she needs me. And um, maybe I am overly worried. um, But I really hope that we can maybe develop a plan where if she did need to contact emergency services in a hurry, um, she would be able to do that. And I think you know something like life alert might be a good solution for that i don't know much about that company or if there's better alternatives i don't want to like do a life alert ad so i'll just say something that is not as complicated as like pulling out a smartphone and dialing all the numbers um would would maybe be good but to just mainly say like i want to be available i I like spending time with mom i want that um but i don't want to push this i don't want to overstep my boundaries um and and i'm really sorry if i made you feel like i thought you weren't doing an amazing job taking care of her so that's very much on the other end of the scale of like be sure your dad's not isolating your mom but I, i do think it's more likely that he really really cares rather than um is is trying to keep her away from other people
2: Yeah. And I, I, you know, it could also even be worth, um, you, you, the, the writer had mentioned like wanting to just spend time with her mother. And I think it's something where if this is something she's really concerned about and also just sincerely does want to spend that time with her, you know, now is use the, use the fact that you yourself are starting to develop MS is like, Hey, I would like to like spend time with you to talk about this, to like, you know, reassure myself as to like that as this progresses you know i'm not going to lose my independence either
0: yeah and yeah and i also want to like i don't know i wouldn't want you to say that if you didn't mean it like it may be that you're like i would i actually want to like model my response to my own condition very differently from my mom or or whatever but yeah to absolutely stress the like i understand where mom is coming from i i I experienced the same condition i'm not just like totally clueless I don't know. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's so many good intentions here. And otherwise, your dad does seem to sometimes want your input. So I'm just really hopeful that if you give him a little time to calm down and you can go back and say, like, can we try this again? I I hope that it will go better a second time.
2: Yeah. I mean, who who knows? It could have just been like, maybe they had just had like a very stressful conversation about that. And so that was, you know, his own response of just like, oh, I don't even want to like think about this and talk about this anymore. Yeah. Because the, the the comment that he gives of, like, no one has appointed, appointed you or your brother in charge of your mother's health, that sounds like a very, like, frustrated thing to say where somebody is in a position where they're maybe frustrated by outside elements and they're just trying to end the conversation rather than resolve it. Yeah.
0: Uh, good luck. Um, this next letter is thorny and... Um, I have definitely uh, an idea of what my answer is going to be in advance, but it is your turn to read this letter, and so I'm just going to let you read it and save my
2: (laughs) opinion for later. All right. Uh, How do I help a friend and secret crush who may have undiagnosed autism? Should I? Dear Prudence, A few years back, I met a guy that I immediately connected with. As I've gotten to know him better, and based on observations and discussions of people in the mental health field— I believe he is on the autism spectrum, although I don't know if he has ever been tested, as he is very private about most things. Early on, he told me that he doesn't have relationships because he's bad at them, and he doesn't want to hurt someone. I have gathered from things he's told me his relationships with women have either ended badly or been drunk in hookups. But I have had a serious crush on him for years, and apparently he's the only one who hasn't noticed. I have tried to remain friends with him because he has many of the qualities I admire, funny, intelligent, kind, truthful, but he is at times very hard to deal with because of his quirks and I get upset. Mostly about things like not texting back, staying shut up in his house for days, etc. All things that I believe are part of his coping strategies. And so I have vented frequently to friends to get over the frustration of having to deal with his limitations. This has caused most of my friends to tell me to stop talking to him. However, when he's not absent, which is a lot, he is a really good friend. A few weeks ago, we got into a huge fight because I felt he was being insensitive to some major issues in my life. We both seem to have decided to take a break from talking. However, we have had these sort of fights before, and I believe he will eventually come back. The problem is, I don't know if I want him to. Because of my venting, most of my friends don't want to talk about him anymore, which puts me in the position of having few people to support him, or support me. Although I still do care about him, I know that he is not in the right place in his life for a relationship and may never be. And his behaviors, which seem to be normal for people on the spectrum, such as needing lots of downtime, becoming so involved in something he can't or won't stop to talk about something else, getting easily upset by changes in routine, or not noticing that I'm upset or even asking about my life, still have an impact on me. I try to accommodate him, but it is at times hard. And we're not in a relationship, and we're just friends, so these accommodations have become a larger part of my life than it should be. However, I do care and I know he has problems maintaining friendships with people. From things he and others who know him have said, he seems to have lost a number of friends over the years because of these quirks. And because I know this and I care, I don't want to abandon him as others have. I feel certain he will always come back and apologize. He always does. But I know I will be back in the same position, where I am bending to accommodate him and am frustrated by his inconsistency and at times seeming insensitivity, so I don't know what to do. (sighs) this is this is yeah this is a tight tight little knot of (laughs) of things
0: yeah so I, i think a big thing for the letter writer to pay attention to here is the fact that it sounds like all of your other friends have said i cannot talk to you about this guy anymore um i don't know a lot of romantic relationships that last a long time and start with well My friends had given me an ultimatum that I had to stop talking about him because they were so frustrated of hearing about my unrequited, unresolved issues with the fact that he doesn't um, respect me.
2: Yeah, no, I that like immediately is sort of a red flag of like there is a basic incompatibility here if everybody within your friend circle besides him is sort of like we're sick of this guy we don't Mm -hmm. want to hear about him anymore we don't want to hear about your problems with him anymore that to me is telling that like the problems are probably even worse than you're perceiving them as
0: yeah and I was just a little worried because it's just that's mentioned sort of like you know like they don't really get that he has all these other great qualities he always does come back and apologize i guess i was venting but like it's just because of his limitations which if only he would talk to a doctor about autism i know we would be able to fix um and so really it's just a matter of time before everything works out it just feels like And like delusional is too strong of a word, but like you are not paying attention to reality. And you have this fantasy, I think, that there's this magic diagnosis that if only he could accept, he would behave the way that you want him to. And without being too hard on you, letter writer, I think it's kind of gross to say, I know that I could Predict or control his behavior if you would accept a diagnosis that I want to give him.
2: Yeah, that that was like one of the the big things that jumped out to me um, is don't never like push somebody to get a diagnosis for mental health issues because you think it would make things easier for you, um, especially because, to date them. Yeah, especially especially to date them when you're not like when you have not clearly told them that you are interested them in a romantic manner. That is. um to, to be blunt, that is like a fairly manipulative way to approach somebody that you are romantically interested in uh, is to attempt to tailor them so that they can be a person that you want to date. Um, but more like more importantly to that sort of like effect, I think it's not a good approach to mental health. I think that if this were someone that you were sort of building a friendship with uh, or any sort of relationship with and you had noticed this, that the correct answer would not be to sort of make a diagnosis and then steer them towards it, I think it would be to encourage them to seek out mental health issues and allow the professionals to make diagnoses and recommendations based on that. Because yeah, ultimately you actually don't really know what he has. You see the symptoms that you see, but you're not him. You don't know what he experiences and what his perspectives on these are, and they could be completely different and a professional a psychiatrist or psychologist could, you know, find that, like, by talking to him, like, oh, no, he has these issues, or that, like, this is what is going on in his life, and that this is what he needs. Um, And I think pushing on him the idea that, like, he has a specific diagnosis is a really, really, like, unfair way to approach
0: someone's mental health. It's also just, like, a a lot of the stuff that this letter writer mentions is, like, it's, these are also just, like, common human behaviors, right? Like, Uh, they could be associated with a number of things like just from anything from like depression to just like insensitivity like you know he's often in his house like yeah a lot of people take a lot of down like none of these are like oh man yeah call your doctor right away like not that necessarily that that would make it okay I just kind of want to point out like a lot of what you seem to think is like it's definitely got to be this one thing Is just like you know He, he might just be a little thoughtless. He might just be, or it might be both or it might be neither. Like, it's just, you know, he doesn't notice that I'm upset and he doesn't ask about my life. And you seem to think, but if you get a diagnosis, those things would immediately change. I I, I don't care how funny or intelligent or kind he is. Otherwise, if he doesn't notice when you have uh, feelings and if he doesn't ask you how you're doing, he's not going to be a good boyfriend and he's not going to be a good boyfriend no matter what diagnosis he has.
2: And the thing that like the thing that's interesting about this too is that like it seems like everybody except the letter writer is aware of that including himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, like like at the onset of the, I I think if at the onset of this of any relationship if somebody tells you I'm not good for relationships all the ones I've been in have been bad, you know, you can encourage them to sort of like seek any sort of care or help that you think that they might want to do so in order that they could be there, but that should be your immediate sign to tell to like check off any possible hope of dating them
0: yeah and and so i think this whole you know i don't think it's likely that if i say to this letter writer like you need to cut this guy loose and accept that your crush is not going to materialize in a satisfying romantic relationship and like let him know you need to take your space so you can get over this like i think the odds of them actually doing that are slim but i do want to encourage you like i think the best thing for you to do would be to like take a big step back you don't even have to say like it's for such and such a reason i don't think that he would notice i really don't um i don't think it would bother or upset him if you just allowed him to occupy a smaller place in your life and and go figure out what else you could spend your time and emotional energy on um you could also just say like i need to take a break from our friendship for a while i have really strong romantic feelings for you and i just need to get over them um I will let you know when and if I'm able to do so and maybe then we can hang out but until then I just need space.
2: Yeah, and that, that was a that was like another point I was going to bring up was e- everything else aside there's y- you can't have a healthy friendship with somebody if you are in a position where you have an unrequited crush on them because that's always going to be a stressor on the dynamics between the two of you especially right. if the other person's like unaware of it.
0: Yeah, unaware and like doesn't seem especially interested which is just like you cannot, make you know, Bonnie Raitt taught us, I can't make you love me if you don't. And I think maybe you need to listen to to the wisdom of Bonnie Raitt and play that song for yourself a couple <laughs> times. Um, So yeah, when you say I feel certain he'll come back and apologize, but I know we'll be back in the same position pretty soon. Um, Yeah, I think that's an accurate read of the situation. So I guess the question is, how many more rounds of this do I want to do? Um, cause you could maybe go another five rounds, maybe another 50. You could maybe spin this out for the next 15 years. Um, you are absolutely allowed to waste as much time as you want fighting with this guy about stuff. He doesn't want to change. Um, I-, I want better for you than that in your life. It's not abandoning someone to say, you don't care about my feelings. You don't ask about my life and you ignore me for days and weeks at a time. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go hang out with somebody else. That's not abandonment. That's, a rational response to how you're being treated. And I'm not sure where you got the idea that saying, I don't like the way you treat me. I'm going to go talk to somebody else is abandonment, but it's just not. And the fact that he has problems maintaining friendships with people might have something to do with the fact that he doesn't seem to invest in other people. Um, That's sad. I I wish him the best with that. But as long as he keeps choosing not to prioritize other people or their feelings, probably he will not make a lot of friends.
2: Yeah, I, I was going to zero in on that. I, uh, I've been in the position when I was younger, and I feel like it's a position you know, a lot of people I know get trapped in of this idea of if somebody has been air quotes abandoned multiple times, they feel like they can't add to that tally mark. And that's like a false feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, obviously, that's not saying like, be completely like asking me to be your friend is emotional labor. Um, <laughs> right. Venmo it, me, uh, ven- yeah, <laughs> Venmo me to to talk to you. But it is saying that um, it's you know if if somebody is driving you away, if a relationship or friendship is extremely unhealthy, you're not the bad guy for getting out of that. Yeah. Uh, you're you're you are acknowledging that something is not working, that something is not healthy for you or both parties involved, and you are taking the healthiest step out of it. And if they see that as feeding into their larger fears of, you know, people abandoning them, that should be assigned to them. And you can tell them as you're taking that space that, like, this is something that I think if you work on will help you maintain better friendships going forward. However, I cannot be
0: going forward with you. Yeah. So I I think you have a real opportunity here. You two are already in the middle of a nice little break. Your friends have already told you, like, we cannot talk to you about this dude anymore. And I think now is a great opportunity to go see a therapist and <laughs> talk a little bit about like what you've been getting out of feeling like I can single handedly fix this guy and make him into a perfect boyfriend through sheer force of will. Um, and, and where might some of that be coming from? And and what do I get out of that dynamic? And how can I um, behave differently in the future so that I can seek out partners who actually like me and want to be around me? Um, and not spend so much time like trying to force something that's just clearly not going to happen. If you can't afford a therapist, maybe just a nice journal. Um, yeah. uh, but or maybe a meeting or two of Codependence Anonymous. Um,
2: <laughs> seek, but, a, like, seek out other people talking about the same experiences. And, you know, the beauty of posting online is you can usually see how it works out for them. And it doesn't is is yeah. the
0: answer. <laughs> Yeah. You might even find like if you give it another couple of weeks, if you ask a friend like, hey, I realize that um, I have like frustrated you in the past by just like monopolizing your time and attention and talking nonstop about a situation I wasn't willing to change. I'm really sorry for that. I'm trying to do something new right now. I'm trying to actually figure out why I was doing some of these things and how I can act differently. And if you're available to talk at all about it, I would love if you just have any thoughts or suggestions on maybe how I can try to change this pattern or what I can do to redirect some of this energy because this is new for me. And it may be that some of them want to have that conversation with you when they didn't want to have for the 900th time like, oh, Jeremy's not responding to my texts. I'm going to text him some more.
2: Um, Yeah, no, I I think that's a sort of sort of tying into the thing I said before of like, you can't you can't uh, lead a horse to mental health care. Uh, I think if you tell your friends like, hey, I realize that this behavior I'm doing uh, wasn't was indicative of other problems, they might be more willing to talk about what those problems are, because they don't want to talk about the behavior itself anymore.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just again, like these aren't quirks. These are behaviors that hurt other people. A quirk is like. I always wear sweaters on days beginning with tea. Um, A quirk quirk is is like a hamburger phone. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's not like, I don't give a shit about your feelings. So, Jay, thank you so much for helping us, like, wade through a couple of different bogs. Oh, no, this this was a
2: lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I mean,
0: this was... I, I I feel kind of like uh, uh, braced I feel ready to go like a uh, power walk or something
2: yeah I'm gonna I'm probably gonna go step out and like have a smoke and enjoy it. it's really it's like the autumn is finally here in Seattle, so I'm probably gonna go uh hang out in the park that's near here for a little bit before I have to go back to doing the other stuff I'm doing today.
0: that sounds absolutely lovely, and I hope that you enjoy it immensely. Happy the day before the month of Halloween by the way yeah. Oh, my favorite, favorite month. Happy spooky times. Uh, And just thank you again. That was just fantastic. I'm so, so, so glad we got you on the show. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEER, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Thanks for listening. a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. So in terms of like what to do right now, one of these things is absolutely scale back on the friendships where people are are telling you you don't have real problems or or at the very least, or in addition to that, push back when people say things like that. If your friend says your husband is perfect, you can say like, That's not true, and that's not a helpful thing to say, and I need you to not say that to me when I'm trying to tell you something that's hard for me. Or uh, if somebody else is just ignoring you, don't waste your energy trying to chase them down. And if somebody says, you don't have real problems when you say, my husband almost died, that person is telling you that they are not to be trusted, and you should not spend more time trying to repair that friendship. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash PrudyPod.